Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, young and old and everything in between, welcome to the Joe Feed Yourself podcast. I'm Joe Barbito, and today I'm joined by former GoNU Extreme sideline reporter extraordinaire and current America's Next Top Youth Hockey coach, my good friend, Anne-Marie Dion. Anne-Marie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's great to be here. It's so good to have you. I don't think you and I have done like any media stuff since like maybe 2016 when you interviewed me at TD Garden during the Bean Pot. What a time. Oh my God. Those keep coming up in my memories every single year on Facebook. I'm like, oh my God, I remember those days. So much fun. Um, yeah, it's it's so, it's been such a long time since I've been in front of the camera. Um, when I moved out to here, I'm in Seattle now. When I moved out to Seattle, I started rowing. And with all of the competitive nature that I have, I immediately got way too into it. And so then when I got way too into it, I had the opportunity to race at the head of the Charles. And every time I did that, I always emailed the going new extreme crew. I'm like, so can I please like sideline or do color for a game? I'm going to be here this weekend. So I miss it a lot. Uh, I wish that I could do it a bit more often out here, but it's great to be back in front of the, the camera and on a mic. I've never been on a podcast before. I'm really excited to try something new. I can guarantee you'll do great because you did great doing Go In Your Extreme. Um, and I have I, I have a story that I want to bring up later from like oh your, your peak Go In Your Extreme story. You probably know what it is, but um, I'm going to save it for a little bit later in the show. Okay. So, Amory, you are um, your own kind of melting pot of cultures and heritage. Um, you are Swedish. You are French Canadian. You grew up in the Northeast. You live in Seattle now. You have traveled extensively all over to such places as San Diego, where you just returned from. And I'm very jealous because when I look at the heat map of who listens to the show, it's like all of our friends that still live in Boston and then like Chicago, which is me and my parents in New Jersey. So seeing you in San Diego was gut-wrenching. I was, I was wrenched in the gut to see that, mm-hmm. but I'm, I hope you had fun. Um, but I, I want to talk about all of these things that make Anne-Marie Anne-Marie. So the one that I think is kind of the most unique about you that you and I really just like never talked about is the fact that you're Swedish. So how Swedish are you? And I want like the mathematical like definition of how Swedish are you? And then like, tell me something that like makes you incredibly Swedish. Yeah, would love to. So I am uh, exactly 50% since my mom is full Swedish and my dad is full French Canadian. Uh, I have taken the 23andMe DNA test and I am most of my, except like the, the percentages that I am, I think I'm like 25% definitely Scandinavian of some kind. Where, where my family's from in Sweden is where the Danish people were, uh, you know, kind of coming in and having a lot of wars. So we're probably also Danish going way back. Uh, and then I'm also 25% general North European. And so I'm taking that as 50% Viking and then definitely 20% French. And then everything else is just kind of a melting pot of everything that we had uh, in France, you know, with the Italians and the Spanish and all that jazz. Um, does it make sense, like thinking of yourself as like a Viking that you got into rowing when you moved out to Seattle? A little bit, for sure. I'm definitely built like Vikings. So one of the things that happened in quarantine, as I'm sure it did for everyone, is that I got onto TikTok and I found one of these TikToks. I was like, is anyone else just like built like a Viking woman? Like I'm ready to rage and pillage your village. And also I can like lift heavy buckets over, but I'm also, you know, kind of like 
big and tall and fit. Um, and I thought that's me. I am just like, definitely, you know, like I'm not, not saying I'm not anything. Right. But I'm definitely like stockier. I'm built, I'm fit. I'm like mm, ready to come and crush some, some houses down. And I mean, you've been playing sports your entire life. So it's not like, you know, it's all muscle. Like you, yeah. you are a hockey player and a lacrosse player and a rower. So uh, decidedly lots of, um, I don't know, storm the beaches of like, I don't know, <laughs> Norman Britain in 1066 or something. I'm not even, I don't even know if I got that right, but there, there's certainly some actual Viking in you. It sounded great. It sounded great. Yeah. And I think the, with, you know, the Swedish part and how Swedish I feel, I don't feel as Swedish at times, even though I was born there. And that's kind of the first language that I learned, first culture that I was a part of, um, mainly because of the whole hockey thing. Everyone always, and my last name is Dion, like Celine Dion, which is my favorite way for bartenders to remember my name. Right? I never realized never. that until just now. Are you being serious? I never yeah. realized that. Oh my gosh, Joe, that is my line to all the bartenders. They're like, what was the last name on that? Dion, like Celine. Oh, good job. Good joke. Um, but instead, everyone always is like, oh, well, you have to be Canadian, right? And it's like, well, I mean, technically, yeah, culturally in my background and my family is Canadian, but I'm really much more Swedish. And I mean, we've been in the States since 99 and I am an American citizen as well. So I'm a dual citizen, but I am probably more American than I am either Swedish or Canadian, just because the fact that I grew up here, I've been in the public school system and college and all of that. So really immersed, I mean, like everyone does, right? Immersing themselves in the culture. But uh, I think my roots to my cultural heritage are probably a bit stronger than some other people, right? Like, I mean, you're Italian, not saying that you don't have a strong cultural heritage to Italy, because obviously you do. But it's, uh, you know, like we, that's where we go. We but my brother and I were talking when we were in San Diego, we don't do, we never did like family vacations to the Grand Canyon or to the beach because all of our family vacations were to go visit family in Sweden and in Canada, wherever we were. So definitely really different. I think growing up and having to constantly reconnect with that culture uh, every summer when we were on vacation or doing anything else. Where in Sweden does your family live? My family in Sweden, we live on the West Coast uh, in a really, really small town of, kid you not, like 300 people. My grandparents still live in the house that my mom grew up in. Uh, it's called Fiegen, and it's about 45 minutes inland of Falkenberg. But I was born outside of Stockholm, which is where we lived when I was a baby. And that's where I kind of knew, did most of my growing up was out there. Swedish food. I want to yes. get the, I want to address the elephant in the room, which is the meatballs. Um, because I think that's the extent that most people know about Swedish food. And I, I can't say I've eaten much Swedish food in my life, but I, I've had Swedish meatballs before. Um, so you've been to Ikea? Uh, I, separately. So I, I've okay. had Swedish meatballs and Ooh. I've been to Ikea. I hated Ikea. <laughs> I was I in Ikea. there once. It was the one that's off the parkway or off the turnpike in New Jersey. Um, oh, in Jersey. By Newark? Yeah. That one's great. What are you talking about? I, you know what? It was just like, I was so claustrophobic being in there. <laughs> and the fact that it's like, you have to go through the whole store mm -hmm. to get out. Like, I didn't like that. I just wanted to, I did, at some point I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> um, but so, so Swedish meatballs. For, so for me, from like an Italian perspective, meatballs are really an American, the, the way that we think of like Italian meatballs now is really an American invention. Um, yeah. Are Swedish meatballs like truly like not only do we eat them here in America, but also Swedish people in Sweden are eating them as well. 
Yeah, Swedish people in Sweden are eating them for sure. Like my grandma makes meatballs all the time at home. Um, it's always like when you go to Ikea and you get the the meatballs and the mashed potatoes and the gravy and the, the lingon, which is the berry jam that they have. That's like what my grandma makes for my grandpa all the time, right? Like potatoes, meatballs, uh, maybe some gravy if they're lucky, some carrots and vegetables. And that's the big thing. Definitely huge. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that like Swedish people are not known for the cuisine. It's cold, right? Especially in Northern Sweden, North of the Arctic Circle, which I've been to is tons of reindeer. So the cuisine is always very different up there as well than it is in Southern Sweden. But where my family's from, it's just farms. Everything is farmland. And so you have to have the quick and dirty, um, really easy, fast food to make. Uh, and also using all the animals that you have, right? So you have a lot of cows, you got a lot of pigs, uh, not as many chickens in Sweden, but you use what you have around you. And so the Swedish meatballs are, I think, like the most iconic, probably because Ikea just popularized them to the moon, right? Um, but I love Ikea. Oh my God, I go there. I mean, most of my furniture, my couch behind me uh, is from Ikea in this chair here and this lamp um, because it's just it's so strange to walk in there. And I know for some people, like you said, it feels like a maze for me. It's just like, it's so nice to walk through. Cause I obviously have been to so many Ikeas. I know where to go for things. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this floor in this section. And I'm going to cut through the kitchen because I don't need to go to the bedroom area to look for things and go, but it's definitely something I think that's just like taken the world by storm. There's obviously more food than just the Swedish meatballs in Sweden, but that's the, the most popular for sure. I know that, there's a culture in Nordic countries uh, around things like bread. Like there's a lot of bread consumption from what I can tell. Pickled herring, other like cold fish, uh, lots of pickling. Um, I guess, it, I mean, in your estimation, if you were to talk about some of the things that aren't meatballs, right? What are some of the things that you think of when you're going to Sweden? You talked about kind of this like farm culture in Southern Sweden and the reindeer up in Northern Sweden. What are some of the things that you might eat if you're like, you know what, grandma, I love you. I don't want meatballs today. Uh, potatoes, potatoes are a staple. Um, we didn't, my grandparents never had a lot of pasta because potatoes are like the big thing that you eat or at least what my grandparents eat. And it granted, this is me coming as like all I grew up, the food that I grew up on in Sweden mainly comes from what my grandparents made. So it's, you know, what they have that's left over from previous generations. But potatoes are a big staple. Fish is another really big staple, like the lox bagels. Everyone's like, oh my God, they're so good. I'm like, of course they are. Lox is incredible. Salmon is amazing. Uh, fish is huge. So my mom usually if she's making um, a fish meal, which she would do on weekends when we were growing up, it would be either a white fish or a salmon. When we go visit back home in Sweden to my grandparents, we always make a stop for, uh, typically it's lunch at this restaurant called literally the salmon shop. And it's just like a buffet of salmon and they have cold and raw and cooked and uh, everything in between. So fish is also really big out there. Um, and then there's, in terms, you talked also a little bit about bread. Bread is huge, I think, because it's just so hearty, right? Like the farm culture, again, right? Like you got to have a hearty piece of bread. If you go to any Danish or Scandinavian grocery store or bakery or anything, all the bread they're going to have is super dense and grain heavy um, because they're going to have that. And then on top of it, they're going to put that pickled herring or the lox or whatever it is, right? And it's a quick, easy meal. It has all your grains, fills you up really nice. And the bread lasts for a really long time. So it's really, really tasty. And then on top of that, um, eggs are huge. I, know, I said we don't 
have a lot of chickens. We don't eat a lot of chickens and chicken in general, but eggs are really big, especially boiled eggs. And so whenever I go back there, it's usually for breakfast, which is my favorite meal to eat in Scandinavia, if you ever go there. Always like splurge on breakfast because it's just a buffet of amazing. But it's the boiled eggs. And then we have this thing that you can get at IKEA called uh, Catalyst Caviar, which is just like caviar roe, smoked roe. And you do toast or um, like crisp bread. You put some of that on there. You cut up the hard boiled egg or soft boiled, however you want it. And then you eat it and it's just so good. But it's just, it's a really unique taste. It takes a while to, to get used to, but it's so amazing. And it's so incredibly Swedish. Do you notice a difference in the fish that you get in America and the fish you get in Sweden um, in terms of maybe the quality? So something like salmon, right? Like salmon, when you go to the grocery store, in America, it varies a lot between your farm raised, your yeah. wild caught, et cetera. Um, when you're there, do you like, you know, are you like, oh my God, I wish all salmon tasted like this? I wouldn't say that necessarily as much about salmon. It's also hard for me to say because here in Seattle, we have such different salmon that we you would get even on the East Coast, right? Because mm-hmm. we all, our salmon is like sockeye from Alaska, like Pacific salmon, right? And I can't, I wish that I knew more about fish and also that I had fish more often to be able to have a really good knowledge base and opinion on it. But I, the, there's not much difference that I can usually tell in like fish or potatoes between Sweden and here. The biggest difference I think is in like milk and dairy products and how they're just like pasteurized, which I think is most of Europe is like that too, where the milk and the different levels, like they have kefir here in Sweden, they have a very similar thing called fyrmjölk, which is just like very, it's more sour, but it's also thick milk. And it's so good to have with your granola in the morning. It's not a yogurt. It's not like sweet, like kefir. It's just like a little bit sour and tart and it's perfect balance with that sweeter granola. And so some of those dairy products where it's like, oh, why did the bread turn out this way? Why did that turn out this way? It's usually the, the butters and the milks that we notice my mom and I, when we bake that have an impact on how the food turns out here versus how it would at home. So are you able to make things like Swedish bread when you're in the States or does it not come out the same because of things like the differences in in the dairy? It doesn't come out the same. My mom's made bread for so many years. I don't think it comes out the same as what my grandma has. And part of that is the dairy. Part of it, I think, is also the flour and the yeast uh, and also flour too, right? Like some of those grains that are very specific. And um, then on top of that, you have the cookbooks that are all in grams and we all have cups here in the U.S., right? So how do you measure out all of these things? But I don't think the yeah, the bread that my grandma makes and the bread that my mom makes, if they come from the same book, they will not be the same if they're made in the States first, if they're made in Sweden. So they're definitely a bit different in that sense. And this is like that dense grain bread we're talking about, right? Dense grain bread, um, as well as just like your your typical like farmers, you know, like white loaf, whole wheat loaf of bread that you would get. But yeah, any bread really um, sometimes the, the bread turn out like hockey pucks, as my mom says, right? Like, as we're familiar with, and it's just like way too dense and there's so much stuff in there. Um, but yeah, I'm obviously also disclaimer to everyone. I am not an expert on Swedish food or Swedish bread. I wish I could bake more. I wish I could do more, uh, but definitely would recommend all of the cuisines of the Scandinavian countries because they are really, really great. And it's also our palates, which I can get into as well, maybe a little bit later, but our palates are not as uh, advanced. Our main seasoning ingredients are salt and pepper, 
And so like curries and Indian food and spicy things are quite spicy uh, to my, my weak little Viking palate. Um, that's the one thing that the Vikings were unable to strengthen was the food palate. Uh, everything else, huh, nice and bulky. Spending uh, too much time running around burning down villages, not enough time <laughs> growing cayenne pepper. Pretty much, yeah. Sweden has what I it's called fika, right? Fika is like oh, yes. the, the coffee. It's like, so, okay, I'm just going to let you go. Describe fika to the <laughs> Describe fika to everyone. Fika is, the closest thing is probably like British tea time. It's just you, it's like that perfect, like two to four o'clock between lunch and dinner. You need a snack, you're out. And it's, it can also be used for any like snack that you get when you're not at home. So if my parents or my mom and I are traveling in Sweden and it's like, you know, one o'clock or something and we're talking like, maybe we should stop and get a little, uh, a little fika. And that's usually something sweet. So either cookies or uh, like a cinnamon roll or bun and a coffee and or tea. So it's a big combination of all of that. I think British tea time is a bit more of the sandwiches in Sweden. It's much more on the sweeter side. And it's just a time for you to sit and relax and just have a cup of coffee and enjoy. And it can take, uh, you know, 10 minutes. It can take an hour. It's really up to you. And like I said, it can be, sometimes we have between breakfast and lunch because like when I'm visiting Sweden and with my grandparents, we're out, you know, they wake up early because they're older and that's kind of what they do. So we wake up, we have breakfast and then we go out and my grandfather, maybe he's getting a little crankier. It's like, oh, we're going to have a little bit of a later lunch. So let's have a fika now where we can have some food and relax. Uh, but fika for us is really just kind of a, almost a catch-all term for a small, you know, easy meal. Like even if it's, you know, a quick sandwich from, I mean, not that we have ga- we stop at gas stations in Sweden, but it could be anything like that, right? Or like a something that you share with your family. And it's just such a unique word, obviously, to Sweden and to the Scandinavian countries, but is the concept of which is pretty much everywhere around the world, right? Having that time set aside where you take a little break and re-energize and refresh for the rest of the day. Are you particular about your coffee? Um, and I say this not only as a Swede, and Swedes love their coffee, but also as a Seattle resident now. <laughs> yeah, I am I am not that picky about my coffee. So my coffee experience, the first coffee that I ever had was like the Dunkin', you know, sweet sugar syrup mishmash oh, yeah. iced coffee, right? Like we all do in, in college. Delicious, right? And then Mary Lou's, ooh, so good. But then I'm like, wow, that's a lot of sugar. So then start refining, cutting back, cutting back. Um, and I, I can taste good coffee. I think I have a better palate now because I've been, you know, shown more different types of coffee here in Seattle than I did at home or at Dunkin'. I mean, I wouldn't count Starbucks as like, you know, the peak pinnacle, but they do have a lot of blends that you can try if you're into that. But in Sweden, they just drink their coffee like straight black right? There's no milk, there's no sugar. My grandma's just like black coffee. And I'm there a little bit. And part of that is because I cut sugar from my coffee. 95% of the time, I don't have sugar or any sweetener with my coffee. Uh, I just have milk or cream or really whatever's available. And then the less milk you add, the more closer you get to that black coffee area. So I wouldn't say that I have a preference. The only thing that I no messes me up in terms of caffeine is like the cold brew that's out here or cold brew in general because that's just very concentrated coffee that's just iced iced coffee at least is like your cheap coffee that you you know have left over that you keep in the fridge right 
cold brew, it's meant to make you whew, feel things. So that's the coffee that I'm like, wow, I can't have cold brew every day or even at all. I usually try to stick to just like latte, lots of milk or, uh, you know, coffee with like two milks or something like that. Something super easy. Cold brew wakes up the Viking blood in you and just gets it you does. ready to go. Gets me <laughs> amped. Oh man, made that mistake my first year out here in Seattle because I I think I walked up to a coffee shop in the building that I worked at at Amazon. I'm like, hey, can I have, you know, like a medium iced coffee? And they're like, iced coffee? What's iced coffee? Do you mean cold brew? I'm like, I mean, sure, I guess. Like, no, not really, but yeah. And then she gave it to me. I think I got it at like three o'clock or something. The whole rest of the day, I was just like, man, we're working now. Type, 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 right? It was crazy. So I definitely stay away from cold brew, especially if it's from like, the smaller shops where they have a lot of espresso because they will definitely make it very strong compared to like your Starbucks nose. If I say iced coffee, they're like, ah, yes, this from, from the depths of the refrigerator, we bring out the iced coffee, which is preferably what I would want. Um, you and I went to college in Boston and despite the fact that it's cold most of the year, people there still love their iced coffee. Oh yes. Do you find that Swedes also have this sort of a double whammy effect where they want to not only feel cold outside, but also drink cold coffee. I explain that to people whenever they're like, when I, so when I coach, I always have a nice coffee and the girls and the parents are like, well, how can you drink iced coffee? I'm like, I need to feel cold on the inside too. The ice has to be inside of me, but no, Sweden is all hot coffee. At least from what I know, uh, I don't think, I think if I, they probably offer it, but if I went up there uh, or out there and asked like, hey, can I just get like coffee on ice? They'd be like, really? You want coffee on ice? Uh, it's definitely much more of a hot coffee drinking culture. So you go outside, grab a handful of snow and throw that in your coffee if you want it cold, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, talk about reindeer a little bit. Um, I don't think many Americans have had reindeer. I don't think I've ever had reindeer. Um, but you mentioned that it's a thing in Northern Sweden. Um, have you tried reindeer? So here's where my, my two cultures cross. I have had moose and reindeer, but from my French Canadian grandmother, not from my Swedish grandparents. Uh, and so my French Canadian grandmother, she like makes moose pies or used to, um, she's unfortunately not as uh, agile now as she was before, but she makes moose pies and reindeer pies and all these things, right. That you just put in the freezer and it's just like meat pie right? Like a giant pie with just like ground beef and you add some gravy at the end and warm it up. Delicious. So I have had it. I mean, it tastes just like beef, right? You season it enough. It doesn't taste much the same, especially if it's ground, but it's pretty tasty. And when I was up in Northern Sweden a couple summers ago, my mother, my mom and I, and my grandparents, we all kind of did a trip up to Kiruna, which is the most Northern town that you can fly to in Sweden. It's practically uh, the North Pole, and it was light for 24 hours of, day, of the day, which is incredible. We were there in the summer. But up there, because it's the, they have the indigenous people of the Arctic Circle in Europe, right? The Sami people, they just survive and thrive on reindeer. So I think when we were up there, we stopped at a restaurant where I had like a reindeer something either it was like it was meant to be like you know pork cutlets but like reindeer either that or something else but i can't remember but it's i mean really tasty moose pie sounds it sounds very canadian like when you say that like that sounds like a real like canadian entree right it really is you mentioned you know not only the swedish roots the french canadian roots that you have 
mathematically speaking, biologically, just an equal amount of, um, you know, heritage, knowing you've got your Swedish side on your mom and your French Canadian side on your dad, but your entire life has been spent kind of in the States and bouncing around the States. I mean, is there like a particular, you know, I mean, what do you identify with the most, if anything? Good question. I, at this point, I think I would identify as American, right? In terms of like, culturally what I would identify with the most. I'm an American citizen. I've been in the States. I work here in the States. But when people ask me, you know, where are you from? It's such, for me, it's always like a hard question because right now I'm from Seattle, but I'm also from New York because that's where I grew up for most of my life. But I'm also from Sweden and I live in France. And it's always hard to to kind of think about that culturally and what, you know, the there's no right answer, but what I should answer. So these days I kind of stick with, I'm from Seattle. I'm from there unless we're you know, getting into some deeper stuff. But other than that, I think I probably, it depends on the day, which is weird to say, but it does depend if, you know, maybe I feel more connected to my French and my Canadian side one day. I, although, you know, citizenship speaking, am Swedish by birth more so than I am Canadian, since I can technically vote in Sweden. I, am much more connected to the French side because I'm more fluent in French and I feel way more comfortable speaking French and I also look more French. And so that side of me is definitely a bit more prevalent in how I present myself, right? Celine Dion, duh, right? Very French Canadian. But I also, you know, that's again, the hard part, it's reconciling the, the, well, of course I'm Swedish because I live there and I grew up there and I can speak Swedish. I just can't speak it as much on command as I can French. It's then also thinking through, well, like, am I really that French? Am I American? Am I what? But I think that's the the beauty of growing up kind of how I did is that I don't, I don't have to pick. I am a little bit of everything. And I think ever since becoming an American citizen in 2016, what a time to be an American citizen. I got in just under the wire before all of the, the, you know, can I swear on the show before all the bullshit happened? And, and ever since then, I think I'm connecting more to that American side. I think the big thing, sometimes I, you know, when I go back to Sweden and I talk to my friends and they're like, oh my God, you're going back to Sweden. This was obviously, you know, in the Trump era of politics, people would say, well, why don't you just like stay there? It's so great. It's so great. And I'm like, well, I mean, they do have kind of the same problems that we have here, right? Like the, even if they don't have the same, you know, as much of the the outward racism that you would see here, which is off topic from your food podcast, but you know, we're here, choose to include it if you want. There is still that big sense of, oh, well, you're not really Swedish, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't look traditionally Swedish. My brother, who's blonde, blue eyes, tall, you know, gorgeous, uh, he is a very, very Swedish, right? And he can go in there and he just looks like he fits in. And a prime example of that is Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's the, you know, one of the greatest football players of all time, soccer, uh, and definitely Swedish football players of all time. And he was mocked for forever when he was growing up because he's of Latvian or Lithuanian from some Baltic country Mm -hmm. is where his family's from. And they immigrated to Sweden. And he also comes from the Southern part of Sweden, which has a really thick, funny accent. And so he speaks very uh, more like someone from the South in the US, right? Mm -hmm. Speaks with that kind of accent. And he was also very outwardly showy and cocky, which Swedes don't appreciate. They have a different way of saying things. It's very quiet. Um, And my mom recognizes that too a little bit, you know, when we go back in terms of how, you know, 
people treat us being American and, you know, not being Swedish, Swedish and how that's seen. But anyway, it's, it's really great to be there and it's really fun to go visit, but I definitely, I think I, the definitely associate myself with being more American. Should Americans such as myself go visit Sweden? 100%, 100%. It's so great to be there. It's so pretty. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's really flat. It's really pretty. It's really different. Uh, the fun part is, I mean, Stockholm's beautiful. They have some great architecture. There's one building that's exactly a hundred and like 13 meters tall. And the reason it's 113 meters tall is because bef- the tallest building at the time was in Denmark and it was 110 meters tall. And so the Swedish architect was like, screw this, let's add an extra three meters. So it became the tallest building at that time, which is hilarious. Um, countryside of Sweden is beautiful, like the, the trees and, you know, talk about Seattle Pacific Northwest, there are a ton of Nordic descended people who live here in Seattle because it looks very similar. There's a lot of mountains. I mean, Sweden's not as mountainous as um, the West Coast, but it's still pretty hilly. Tons of pine trees, lots of farmland, lots to explore. Um, if you look at, you know, or Google like Swedish houses or Swedish farmhouses, they all look the same. They're painted one of two colors, either red, like this water bottle, or yellow with white trim and black roofs. And that's it. Like you got your two types of houses. And it's so uniquely yeah, they really, Swedish, right? They all look the exact same. I'm on Google Images exact right same. now. And all mm-hmm. these farmhouses are the same shade of red except for this yep. yellow one. Yep. And they all have That's the, the same one. trim and the same roof. Wow. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And it's it's incredible because you just drive down, you're like, wow, this house looks like that. And that one looks like that. And they all have a Swedish flag out front. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. If you're not going there for the food, which I mean, there is a lot of good food, which we haven't even really gotten into all the other food that you can have in Sweden, but it's just a beautiful place to visit. It's different. They're really nice. And then you got Norway, you have Sweden, you have Denmark, you have Finland, and they're all just really unique in their own way. So what are other foods that that you enjoy as a Swede that you think non-Swedes should enjoy? So when we go there, we don't just look for Swedish meatballs like they get at Ikea and uh, we can kind of partake in the local culture. Oh man, okay. so. Uh, This is a little bit more of a Denmark thing or a Danish thing, but it's also in Sweden. It's called Smørbrød, and it's open-faced sandwiches. Open-faced sandwiches are king in the Scandinavian countries. And so you can get Smørbrød with anything that you want, whether it's lox or um, what's the the German, like, it's not pâté, because that's the French one, but the liver paste, liver paste. Liver I, like, I mean, any any spreadable liver I call pate. So pate, yeah, it's like it's like pate, right? You can get that with some cucumbers on like a nice grainy bread, delicious. So that's one. Um, in Sweden, it's not you can you don't really get this often, but it's something that you get for special occasions, which I think is really funny. It's called a smörgåstårta, which is uh, a sandwich cake, literally a sandwich cake. And it's just like bread, layer of bread, layer of probably little baby shrimps and some sort of dill sauce, layer of cucumbers, more bread, more layers, right? It's like you're stacking an entire cake of sandwiches and it's delicious. Um, how do you how do you eat that? You cut it up like a cake and then you eat it with a fork and knife. Wow. Delicious. I know. Crazy. That sounds and great. I should get that instead of a birthday cake. Right? It's savory. It's tasty. You can still put candles in it if you want to. There's no rules. It's great. Um 
I also really love, and my, we get this all the time when we're in Sweden, um, and it's called a, a tunbrödsrolle. And so first I'm going to start off by saying it means thin bread roll. That's the first thing, right? Definition. Another food that is so different in Sweden and in Europe than it is here is uh, sausages and like mm-hmm. hot dogs, right? I mean, I'm not talking like the bratwurst. I'm talking hot dogs, right? In Sweden, they have well, hot Swede, dogs. Swedes love hot dogs, right? Swedes love hot dogs. Hot dogs are delicious. And in Sweden, the hot dogs, like the casing is real. It's not like fake, you know, like the hot dog casing that we have here is just like bologna, right? It's like real cased. And in Sweden, you can also get the hot dogs boiled, which are also delicious. And so in the thin bread roll, you'll have a long hot dog that's probably like nine to 10 inches long, nice long one, a hunk of scoop inside of this roll of mashed potatoes. And then you also get a hunk of scoop of like little baby shrimp, dill, mayo sauce. And then you add ketchup and mustard and you kind of fold it up like, you know, a a gyro which I'm probably, I always, I never knew if it's gyro or gyro. 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 You fold it up like a gyro and then you eat it with your fork or you just, you know, eat it like a sando. Well, let's, 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 let's break this one down. Let's slow this down. Let's break it down. So we have a hot dog. Hot dog. A scoop of mashed potatoes. Big scoop of hunk of mashed potatoes. Baby shrimp dill mayonnaise salad. Uh-huh. Am I missing something? Is there anything else that it's wrapped up like a gyro? Yeah, and then it's wrapped up in like a really thin pita, uh, like a yeah, like a thin pita gyro kind of style, where like it's open on one end but closed more on the other. And then you can add you know mustard or ketchup to your content. I always go for both because it's really good. And then you just eat it. It's Are so there? Tasty. So that sounds incredible. That sounds like <laughs> I feel like that'd be great on Instagram. You know, like on right? Instagram they love when there's just like a bunch of stuff on like hot dogs or burgers. Like I feel like that would do great yeah um like we said hot dogs are are big in sweden um and i think i've seen i've seen travel shows where like they're going around like eating hot dogs in scandinavian countries um is i mean is that something that you get frequently when you're there or at all yeah no the hot dogs are good and again it's just because like the 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 sausage is just tasty like the actual hot dog itself is not fat and it's not short it's long it's skinny it's wrapped in like real intestine casing which sounds disgusting but it's that's so the way it's got to be that's the way it's got to be and i actually really like it boiled because it's just it's different and then it's a little chewier instead of being mm-hmm. just like crispy oh my god it's so good but yeah love the hot dogs um do you have like a go-to like swedish hot dog com- aside from the rolled up one is there like yeah a, a particular like way that you or maybe regular Swedish people like to eat their hot dogs. Like I know, New, thing, you know, New Yorkers love like mustard and, and sauerkraut. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mustard and sauerkraut, mustard and onions, whatever. I don't think there's specifically a Swedish way, but like, like I said, in the, in the thin bread roll, you could also just get that on like a regular hot dog. Like you could get a regular hot dog in a bun, you know, nice long hot dog, scoop, 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 ketchup, mustard, done. Like, that's the, I think the, the more traditional, like the very traditional Swedish way, um, that I, that I know best. While we're on hot dogs, beer. I've heard Swedish people have certain oh, affinities for beer. <laughs> beer in Sweden. There is uh, Carlsberg, which my, my cousin actually works at Carlsberg as I think just like a bottler. But it's definitely super popular. I think that's the biggest one 
Um, and I'm not super in on like the beer scene, but it is big, right? Like Scandinavian countries, the Germanic countries, it's all influenced by that beer and that lager. But I think lager is the biggest one that they have out there. They're not, I don't think IPAs are a thing. I don't think stouts are a thing. I think it really is just like lager, like water that's slightly flavored, essentially, right? That you can down a ton of and get real hammered on any given day. I think that's like the big divide between like, the Germanic countries, like Eastern European countries, and then like Western Europe, and then like the West proper is like, in like the Czech Republic, you know, they have laws in Germany, they have laws about what you can put in your beer. So it's, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I mean, that's Sweden, Sweden is, you know, a Germanic country kind of, you trace it back that they are a little more traditional in their, in their beer consumption. Swedes also love Christmas. Love Christmas. How do you celebrate Christmas in a Swedish household? The best way. Uh, our Christmas is actually on Christmas Eve. And so you wake up Christmas Eve, do your thing. And then my mom, so our food tradition at Christmas is that we have this thing called dop i gruta, which is essentially dip in the cast iron pot or like the big pot is what it translates to. And so what you do at the end of the, the year, right at Christmas is that you cook your nicest piece of pork and your nicest like hunk of beef, you know, like a a big kind of pot roast kind of thing and you cook it in broth so all of that mixes together some of that onion some of that everything and then once all of that's cooked you take out the meat so it's nice and tender excuse me and then you have your bread that probably is a little bit stale but not too stale because it's winter time and then you put the giant pot of broth in the middle of the table you have your meats, your porks, and your beefs, and then you also have pickled herring if you want, but then literally all you do is you take a slice of bread, you put it in the broth, you dip it in there, and then you take the bread out, you put it on your plate, you have some mustard, you have some beef and some pork that's like perfectly tender because it's just been simmering in this broth for 8, 10, 12 hours, whatever it is, and that's all you eat. There's no vegetables, there's no potatoes, it's just bread and broth and meat, and it's delicious. So we usually have that, at least in my family, um, right around like two or three o'clock in the afternoon, right? So before it gets dark and it's all done and ready to go for the evening. And then you have enough time to take a nap before Santa comes, which is really the critical thing. And then after it gets dark, that's when Santa comes. So it's really the Tom Den. He's not like Santa. He's, you know, like the different, not like St. Nick or anything. Is he more like a Father kind of Christmas kind of? Kind of like a Father Christmas, but also kind of like a uh a, like he's a little smaller you know like a little bit like the, the the guy who hides under the bridge what's he a troll a troll not like troll troll but like kind like of an elf between. maybe it, eh, that's hard to describe maybe he is just like a small man in pictures he's always very small like in drawings interesting Santa. okay yeah it's weird but then he comes and the tradition is, my God, that it's always the mom is like, <clears throat> husband, <clears throat> it looks like we need to go get some milk. Should you go and get the milk now? Ah, yes, I will go and fetch the milk. Husband leaves. And then two seconds later, knock, knock, knock. Oh, my God, it's Santa. Gives out all the presents, right? It's like, I have to go now. So Santa actually shows up at your house, right? At like eight o'clock or whatever gives out the presents and then leaves and then dad comes back sometimes he has the milk sometimes he actually forgets and he's like oh my god i missed santa oh no and then you open presents and then you have them the whole rest of the night to like play with and hang out with and then christmas day is like you don't really get presents on christmas day that's you know really much more american uh and so our christmas day is usually we wake up sometimes we have like 
we, my brother and I, we wanted like our stockings for Christmas morning. And so we would get open like all our small stocking presents and like maybe save one or two things. But then Christmas day is just chill. And so Christmas Eve becomes your Christmas day. And that's also similar in French culture. Christmas Eve is your Christmas, right? So you're spending that whole time because France, Catholicism, woo, you go to mass, right? And so you're awake, you go to mass, you come home, you have dinner, you open your presents and then it's three o'clock in the morning and then you all go home, right? Like that's, that's that tradition, uh, which is a little bit more different. But the only other tradition in Sweden for Christmas is that every single December for, I don't know how many years, lots and lots of years, the Swedish television channel puts on a, um, like an advent calendar via the television and also via radio, depending on, it's usually different, but they'll do like a 10 or, you know, maybe like a seven to 13 minute um, episode every single day, the entire month. And it will all culminate into the story that ends on Christmas Eve, right? And there are some really, really good ones. It's a good way to stay engaged. I think my brother and I, we listened to like a radio mystery one year where we had to like also fill in, you know, clues online and figure out who the bad guy was, which was really cool. And there's also on Christmas Eve, a television program that is kind of like Dick, Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve in terms of that it's hosted by the same old guy and has been for forever. It's just him. It's literally the same, like Chip, it's Chippendale, it's Ferdinand the Bull, it's like a Mickey Mouse thing. And it's all these like, you know, the quick, easy cartoons that everyone's heard of that are around Christmas. They play all of those. The dude lights a candle. He talks a little bit about like what happened this year and how fun it is. And then that's Christmas Eve. So that's in a long way, Christmas in Sweden. Sounds like a good time. You had me at no vegetables when you were yeah. talking about the, the dinner. I was way back, way back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's with the rest of it's just gravy at that point. Right. Um, pastries, sweets, baked things seem like they're very big. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've mentioned to me before, there's a thing called princess cake. Oh, yes. And this is when I like look into it, it's like considered like kind of like the cool, one of the coolest of like the Swedish uh, it's not a delicacy, but like one of the, the Swedish fairs. Um, can you tell us a bit about what princess cake is and when oh you would God. eat it? Yes. Uh, if you want to see it in action, it was on an episode of the Great British Bake Off. I don't know which season, but it was on there. I think is their, uh, their technical challenge. So that was the, the blind one, which was really fun. Joe, I'm sure, will tell us what episode and season it was on. Um, but the princess cake is... It's named a princess cake because it was made for one of the princesses. Sweden is one of those countries that still has a royal family. So we still have princesses and crown princesses um, and princes and kings. But the princess cake is a layer of cake, like white, not pound cake, but like white cake, yellow cake, not yellow, white. Layer of jam, raspberry jam, has to be raspberry. Uh, Maybe then I think also a layer of like a thin layer of like cream not buttercream, but like kind of a cream, another layer of cake, another layer of jam and cream. And then you mound whipped cream on top to make this nice little dome shape. And then the best part is that you roll out a big green piece of marzipan uh, or marscapone. I forget which one it is. I should know more, but marzipan, marscapone. Marzipan. Oh yeah. Marzipan. There we go. Nice big thing of marzipan you fold it over. And so the whole thing is green. So it's a nice big green cake. And then you make a little rose out of, you know, some petals and the remaining piece, put that on top, sprinkle some powdered sugar on, and it is incredible. It's just a ton of whipped cream, 
more whipped cream and marzipan than there is cake, if I'm being honest. Um, and it can come in all shapes and sizes. I, for the past couple of years, I've always gotten this for my birthday, but it was like the special occasion cake because it's so unique. And like, I we wouldn't get it other than once a year. Even my brother got it for his birthday this year. And it's just a fun thing that is just for those really big special occasions where you want to spoil yourself. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of it now and it's like, it's like this big green dome with like decorations on top. I'm actually looking at a picture from the Great British Bake Off episode. <laughs> it was like, it says it was like season one, episode six. It was the technical challenge. Oh, geez. Early um, on. So this is, that's like Mary Berry and like the original cast. I mean, um, Ma- Mary, let's be real. Mary Berry is the only one that would make this a technical challenge because that she, she knows, she knows good stuff when she sees it. Yeah, I, I love reading Mary Berry's uh, Wikipedia page because you can <laughs> tell like an old British person wrote it because it it begins with like, like they discuss her background. And, you know, usually it'll say for like, oh, so-and-so like um, attended such and such university for blank education. Hers is like, you know, Mary Berry was encouraged in the domestic sciences at, you know, such and such starter school. And oh, it's like, this man. is the most British thing you could possibly say. Right. Encouraged to pursue cooking. Women belong in the kitchen. Stay yeah. there. We got to yeah. bring back Home Ec. I will say this in defense of whatever program she was in. I know. We should bring back Home Ec. Everyone should learn how to make a cake before they graduate high school. I Especially agree. I think everyone should learn cake. how to make a cake. Oh, yeah. Princess cake. But like cake, grilled cheese. Like just if anyone in Home Ec, like just learn how to make one thing. Like and make that your staple meal forever that's not ramen or box mac and cheese like something you know yeah i think i think these days like american food culture is it's kind of all over the place like it's regionally it's different but like you know the the mass market american food culture is like it's more fast food it's more processed stuff so i think it's like it'd also be good to kind of help wean a generation off of you know mcdonald's and box mac and cheese not that i don't love those things but you know i think uh i think that's one thing that American food culture lacks that other food cultures are like in smaller countries. Cause it's a, a, a larger scale or I feel like it falls off at some point, but like when you talk <laughs> about like, like Swedish culture, like, you know, you've got like this shared cultural thing of, um, of Fika and you've got like, I don't know, like the farm culture you talked about. Um, and it's, I don't know. I feel like there's a little more of that, like homogeneity, homogeneity, yeah, you know, homogeneity. I don't know. Yeah, you know what I'm going for. Um, I know that, where you're going for. Yeah, so like, not that we should all be doing the same things, but like this, you know, these ideas of like shared culinary traditions for the country you live in. That's yep. that's something that's unique, I think, outside of America. That's something that exists other places. I would we gotta, agree. We got to get kids in the kitchen in high school to fix that. Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Let's come to North America, though. Let's come to North America. And let's talk about Quebec. (laughs) Let's do it. I have been to Montreal once. I had a blast. Um, I We were there for like three or four days. It was cold. There was a foot of snow on the ground. But I had a great time. And one of the reasons I had a great time was because the first thing that we did when we got there was go get bagels. Mm. And... You and I both grew up around New York City, and we both have our opinions on bagels in this world. And I knew that going into it, I said, there is no way I'm going to like some weird, freaky, like giant hold skinny bagel. This is going to be awful. 
and we go to St. Viter and we get a bunch of everything bagels or cream cheese and we're walking around with the foot of snow and it's 10 degrees outside. And I was, I had the revelation, took my first bite of this thing. And I was like, the Quebecois figured it out. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know how they did it, but Montreal has fantastic bagels. Oh yeah. Montreal for sure is the, is definitely more of a melting pot than the rest of Quebec, for sure. I mean, Quebec itself is extremely French. Montreal, the island of Montreal, there's an English section, there's a large Italian portion of it, um, big Jewish population as well, and then there's a smaller French population. And so, I mean, we've known a lot of uh, hockey players at Northeastern and college hockey, right, that are from Montreal, but they have English names, and they turn out that they're not actually French. They're just from Montreal, right, or an English-speaking part of Montreal. So Montreal is definitely a really big melting pot of all of these different cultures. The big thing that I always get when I'm in Montreal, you talk about bagels, love bagels. Oh, my God. I miss bagels so much, but is the uh, smoked meat and the delicious delicious smoked meat that they have and i think that's also a bit of that jewish influence coming in if Mm -hmm. i'm not mistaken right and schwartz's deli we went there it's like the most famous deli shop in montreal Uh, did you get to go when you were there i believe i did yeah it's like it's it's super tiny and they've just got a really old menu yeah yep really old menu super small um we got there at a really good time it wasn't super crowded but oh my god it was delicious so whenever we're in um canada or quebec whether because usually i fly into montreal i get picked up by my parents coming from new york and we head up to quebec city where my family's at and where we stay and usually we always in montreal for lunch or along the way we'll get a smoked meat sandwich not maybe not a a schwartz but at one of the more um you know like cheney smoked meat restaurants that they have that we can stop at and it's just so canadian and it's so delicious and you, you have it on rye bread and there's just a heap of it with like mustard and the coleslaw or the the cabbage oh my god it's so good it's so good and i mean it's like you said it's the jewish influence so anyone listening and here's the name schwartz i remember when i sat down at schwartz now that i remembered that what the name of it was <laughs> and getting the sandwich i mean it really felt like you were like in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, like the rye bread, the mustard, the pickles, like it really just like, it was such a weird experience for me knowing that I ate this, you know, I I can basically only get this from certain places in the States. And like, you don't expect that. And you don't expect it to be as good as it is when you get there, but that was fantastic. Um, And then I think the, the big, the, the other low hanging fruit with Montreal is of course, poutine. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Poutine. Oh, it's so, it's so good. I think so. What really makes poutine for me, and I don't know about you or how much you had it, but I've obviously had poutine a lot in my life, right? What really makes poutine stand out is the cheese. It has to be like squeaky cheese curds. It can't be mozzarella. It's just like sprinkled on top. None of that, right? Like the gravy can be bad, but as long as the gravy's hot and it is there to melt the cheese and the fries, I mean, can be mushy because it's hot anyway, right? But Mm -hmm. the cheese defines for me what a good poutine is are you familiar with disco fries i've heard it but i can't place what it is so disco fries is like if poutine moved down to new jersey and kind of got a little like identity crisis so uh disco fries are like a new jersey deli staple uh new jersey diner staple where it's french fries brown gravy but then just like regular cheese like just grated like cheddar american Mm. cheese or something like that and I grew up eating that, 
And I like, this is great. And then I tried poutine and I was like, this is amazing too. Like, I I just don't understand why more cultures don't have French fry gravy cheese of some variety, you know? Yeah. Even, I mean, that's the thing. It's not even French fry, like potato gravies and cheese. Like potatoes are the greatest invention of food. Oh, I love it. So it's tasty. Uh, My dad will say that the best poutine in Canada is at Costco, surprisingly. Uh, Next best is at this restaurant called harvey's which is uh, i think it was an appearance if you ever watched how i met your mother i don't know if you have it's been a while it's been a while so in how i met your mother robin at one point has this backstory about how she's dating this guy and he collected harvey's trays uh, which are trays from this harvey's restaurant from various of the harvey's in the provinces of canada and harvey's is i think there's like only one of them in all of vancouver so when i go up there there's one harvey's that i can go to but they have just like it's it's like wendy's it's probably the best like cheap burger that sells fast food fast food burger and they have amazing amazing poutine it's a fast food place and your dad says that yeah it has the next best after costco 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 i think is the best one and i might be misquoting him if he listens to this podcast he may you know backslap me on top of the head or something send me a text like, you don't know what you're talking about okay sorry okay but. so either it, it either is or isn't costco um yeah. but harvey's definitely if you're if you're stuck in alberta and you're looking for something to eat and you come across a harvey's you should try the stop poutine 100 percent. stop there and get a burger burgers are good too it's one of those places where it's like fast food but you can also say the toppings that you want on your burger so you're like oh okay. i'm gonna have you know, a double cheeseburger and then they open it and they're like, what would you want? And you can get like giant slices of pickle, right. That are like the long skinny ones that you mm-hmm. can, like slice on and lettuce and mustard and tomato. So they like make your burger for you and then wrap it up and give it to you. I swear fast food restaurants outside of the U S are way better than they are in the U S. And I don't know why we can't do that here. It's in, like, anyway, I think that's a, it's own separate podcast is an hour long discussion <laughs> about how fast, fast food, food in America came to be. That's yes. I, I learned about that in, in an actual college class. That's a long conversation, <sighs> Man. but yeah, it's uh, I think that goes back to what I said before about like food culture in, in, in different parts of the world and how American food culture is like heavily relying on fast food. And the problem is that it's, still mcdonald's you know yeah but i now i'm i'm staring at this picture schwartz's and i i want it like i think on my like top five places to go once my passport is valid again in most of the world like montreal not in the dead of february is up there yeah 100 where is a place that you are dying to go i would love to go to New Zealand, Australia, Korea, Japan, like Asia, I think would be really cool. Part of that is because I think, you know, prior to pandemic, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I like want to go to Asia or Japan. My mom's been to India and Asia a ton for work. And she's like, it's fine. It's, you know, it is what it is. And I'm like, cool, great. But I think over the pandemic, knowing that I can't go there, right. It's that thing of I can't have it. So I want to go do it. I really want to go and see what it's like to be in, you know, countries like Japan, where I think culturally it's so different than anything that I'm used to. New Zealand and Australia wouldn't be as much of a culture shock in that sense. But I think that, you know, some of those Asian countries like shocking myself a little bit like that would be really fun. I also, I mean, I just want to go everywhere. But I think if I could make a big trip, like that would be my big trip would be to go out to Asia or, you know, the the islands like Australia and New Zealand and then for a, maybe a shorter trip you know quote short 
maybe like 70s or whatever, would be to go to Europe, to Norway, do some hiking um, and go to the fjords over there. Would also love to go to Italy. Uh, my brother and I were just talking about this. We got back from San Diego. Well, I got back from San Diego today and we were talking about it last night. Like, where should our next vacation go? And he's like, if you want to go island hopping in Greece? And all I could think about was Mamma Mia. Like, yes, let's go island hopping in Greece. I'll find my own island. I'll start up a hotel. I'll be Donna. It'll be fantastic. Let's go. So that'd be a lot of fun too. But really, honestly, anywhere. I, I just got my Swedish passport renewed. So I have both my American one and my Swedish one. So we'll see where, where life takes us. I'm going to have to tell Carolyn to listen to this episode all the way through because I don't know if you know this, <laughs> Mamma Mia is her favorite movie. Is it? Um, oh, I knew I liked her. Uh, her and I met watching Mamma Mia 2. I'd never seen Mamma Mia 1. Um, <sighs> so yeah, if you ever go to the Greek islands and become Donna Summers, I think uh, I know someone who'd be very interested uh, in hearing about that experience. Mamma Mia 2, I also love almost more than Mamma Mia 1. Mamma Mia, I saw on Broadway, and then the movie came out, so I like them both. But Mamma Mia 2, man, the song choices they use, the cast, the story, oh, Oscar-worthy. Obviously not a, f- a, a film critic, but it is what it is. Last thing. We talked about it in the open, and we brought yeah. it up a little bit again. Yeah. Hockey players at Northeastern that are French. I, yeah. I think your crowning achievement, your time at Northeastern was senior day, Kevin Waugh, that interview you did with him in French. Do you want to tell everyone the story of that interview? I would love to. It's senior day, Northeastern, Saturday, March, I don't know, February 27th or whatever it is. One of those Saturdays, they're playing Maine. And it's five minutes left in the period. It's 0-0, first period. No one scored. And then literally right away, Kevin Waugh scores a goal. And Kevin Waugh is French and is like French, French Canadian. So he speaks French. English is his second language. And I, in that moment, I call up to the booth in my headset and I go, I'm going to do the interview in French. And there's like a two second pause. And the producer on the other side goes, okay, we'll do it in French. I'm like, okay. And then I immediately am like, oh my God, I have to call my dad. And so thank God my dad picked up because otherwise I would have been screwed. But I wanted to make sure that I was asking the questions that I wanted to grammatically correct and like saying all the things, right? So I call him, I'm like, dad, I'm going to do this interview in French. I want to like, how do I ask these, like, am I asking this question in the right way? How do I ask this question? He's like, okay, okay, okay. Um, well, you would say this. I'm like, okay, can you, I'm going to get off the phone. Can you text this to me so I can like read it and memorize it? And he's like, yes. So we get off the phone. There's like 90 seconds left in the period, right? We're like getting close to crunch time. And he texts me the message with like the two questions that I wanted to ask. And then Kevin Wong gets off the ice and I call him over and, you know, Joe or whoever it is that's doing the play-by-play calls down to me. I'm ready to go. And I'm like, thanks so much for, you know, thanks so much. I'm here with Kevin Wa, Kevin. And then I turn and I ask him the question in French. And he looks at me and he goes, en français? Like, you want me to answer in French? I'm like, uh-huh, do it. And so then he answers in French, uh, probably more of an eloquent answer than he would have if he was in English. So it was appreciated. Ask him the second question. And then he like answers that one. I go, thanks so much. Good luck in the next period. And then as he walks past me, he gives me a little like, you know, bump, like, thanks, like, you know, fist bump, good job. And then I turn and I just summarize the, all these answers, which were, you know, pretty basic, but like, what, what were some of the keys to the first period? How'd you score? What do you have to do next period? All that jazz. 
And then it was, man, there was just like silence on the other end, I think, because they were just so mesmerized that I was doing this live on camera. And then afterwards, I just was like the adrenaline rush that I had. I don't think I had ever sweat that much in my blazer. Just like, oh, my God, I did it. And I think I was like shaking after because it was just such a high of, oh, my God, I did it. I, it was exactly what I wanted. No stuttering, no ums, no nothing. Like I got through it. And it was the first what multi-language interview or, you know, not English interview that had happened on I definitely going you extreme. I don't know if we were on Neston at that point too, but you know, something a bit high up there. And that was just like, wow. And then I turned to my camera guy and I, I forgot what he said, but he was like, yeah, they said you were going to do it in French. And I really didn't know what you were saying. So I just kept the camera on you the entire time. I'm like, thank God. Okay. It worked out. But yeah, that was probably definitely my crowning achievement. I try to find that video, but I can't find it anymore on Twitter. I don't know where it went, but I should have I should have saved it somewhere. So if anyone out there sees it, listening from Northeastern or can find me that video, send it over to me. I think we've got a little homework ahead of us trying to find you that video. <laughs> um, well, Amory, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I yeah. loved hearing about, uh, you know, your trips to Sweden. I loved hearing about um, you know, all the different routes that you have and, and kind of, you know, picking who you are as a person based off all these experiences that kind of make you you. Um, and uh, I hope you get your trip to Japan and Korea and to New Zealand once the pandemic's over. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. I, again, I'm not an expert in Swedish culture as it is now. I'm just speaking off of my experience, which I think we, we all do, but it's a great place to be and to visit and food's amazing. And I had a lot of fun on this podcast, man. You're a great host. Good job. Oh, shucks. You mean that? Yeah. Well, you have more radio experience than I do. So you did a way better job in terms of just like keeping the flow and going than I did. I'm just staring at myself the whole time. I mean, I'm also just staring at you. So that's, we're, we're both doing the same thing. <laughs> My guest today was Anne-Marie Dion. Anne-Marie, thank you again for sharing your stories and knowledge. Glad you could tune into today's episode of the Joe Feed Yourself podcast. Make sure to tell your friends and family about the show. I've got loads more guests lined up and I want you to join me for it. Subscribe to the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at Joe Feed Yourself. And remember what Anthony Bourdain used to say, your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park. Eat something good and I'll see you again next week. <laughs>